stage, way too many families are falling apart. But as it turns out, there are three very simple things that you can do to stop that from happening. None of them's rocket science. None of them is particularly onerous. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works as we head into the next message in this series called How to Stop Your Family from Falling Apart because your family matters so much to God. So let's dive straight into his word. We've all had that experience. Having a meal with someone, it takes a relationship to a whole new level. I'm not quite sure what makes this whole eating together thing so important to us, but it is. It's one of the primary ways in which we form relationships. It's a very special thing. Eating meals together with other people in almost every culture on the planet is an incredibly important part of building and strengthening relationships. We kind of know that, but just stopping to think about it and talk about it, it really drives it home, doesn't it? So why is it then that we're seeing declining rates of families having meals together? In the UK, for instance, one in ten families never sits down to an evening meal together. But that same study, which surveyed 3,000 families, revealed that two-thirds of the children yearn for a return to the traditional family dinner time. And four out of every ten children have even asked their parents to have more evening meals together as a family. A similar study conducted in New Zealand found that whilst the majority of 15-year-olds, 64.7%, reported that they shared a main meal with their parents around a table several times a week, 35.3%, or just over a third, reported that they didn't have that privilege. The newspaper USA Today had this to say about the subject of family dinners. Family dinners help kids avoid risky behaviours and may even help them in school. But new research shows that the more frequent these dinners, the better the adolescents fare emotionally, says new research published in this week's Journal of Adolescent Health. The effect doesn't plateau after three or four dinners a week, says co-author Frank Elgar, an associate professor of psychiatry at McGill University in Montreal. The more dinners a week, the better. With each additional dinner, researchers have found fewer emotional and behavioural problems, greater emotional well-being, more trusting and helpful behaviours towards others, and higher life satisfaction, regardless of gender, age or family economics. The study was based on a nationally representative sample of 26,069 Canadian adolescents aged between 11 to 15 in the year 2010. So do we really need more studies and statistics to tell us what we already know? Eating meals together is good for kids and it's good for their families. Eating meals together stops people from falling apart and it stops families from falling apart. And yet it's something that in many countries we're doing less and less of. It's as though we're hell-bent on destroying our families. And our family contains the most precious people on the earth to us, right? What's one thing, just one thing, that you can do to stop your family from falling apart? Eat meals together as often as you possibly can. They're important for children, they're especially important for teenagers, and they're important for husbands and wives too. Over the dinner table in the evening, it's as though we check in with one another. We find out what's been happening in each other's days. How are the rest of your family members doing? What joys and triumphs did they have today? What sadnesses, what disappointments? Time magazine 
puts it like this. Studies show that the more often families eat together, the less likely kids are going to smoke, drink, do drugs, get depressed, develop eating disorders and consider suicide, and the more likely they are to do well in school, delay having sex, eat their vegetables, learn big words and know which fork to use. If it were just about food, we would squirt it into their mouths with a tube, says Roland Fox, an anthropologist who teaches at Rutgers University in New Jersey, about the mysterious ways that family dinners engrave our souls. A meal is about civilising children. It's about teaching them to be a member of their culture. I want to encourage you to take this one thing in your family really seriously. It's all about being a family, providing a safe place for one another, not just for the children but also for the adults. I've found that our kids need it just as much differently, but just as much now that they're young adults. This one thing is so simple to do. It's so practical. Okay, perhaps it'll require some changes to entrenched routines. Maybe your children will raise their eyebrows or wonder what's going on. But remember that study. Most of the children on this planet long for a return to the regular family mealtime. And for you... It's perhaps the simplest, most practical thing that you can do to stop your family from falling apart. Just sit down once every day and have a meal with your family. Can it really be that simple? Sure it can. If the studies are right, it's worth a try. As I open my Bible, there seems to be precious little in it about sharing a meal together as a family. Or is there? I guess back in the times when the various books of the Bible were written... There weren't all those distractions that we have today to tear families apart. No cable television, no mobile phones, no internet, no tablet computers, no social media, not even electricity. And yet it seems that God sees the family as the central piece in bringing children close to him. This is what God says to his people way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, starting at verse 4. He says this, Hear this, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home, when when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, talk to your children about God. And to the church in the New Testament, God says this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, bring those two scriptures together into modern family life, into the modern-day malady of families falling apart, and the message is clear. We need to spend time together as a family. It's good for us. It's God's will for us. And the easiest way to start is to do what comes naturally, eat meals together. It really is that simple. Can I ask you a question? What do you do with your spare time? I mean, do you invest it? Do you spend it? Or do you waste it? Let's take a look at your week and just break it down a bit. We're all different, of course, but here's a typical week. You make your own modifications to the calculations to suit your lifestyle as we go along. Okay, every week has exactly 168 hours in it. So the average working week, let's say that's 40 hours. That leaves 128 hours. Let's say you spend seven and a half hours commuting every week. That's one and a half hours five times a week. 
Now we're down to roughly 120 hours. Two hours a day or 14 hours a week preparing and eating meals. Now we're down to 106 hours. Oh, we better not forget sleep. You can't forget that. Let's say you're getting eight hours a night. There's another 56 hours for the week. Now we're down to 50 hours. And right there, you have some spare time. Some of that's going to be taken up with necessary chores, washing, cleaning, shopping. Let's say they all add up to another 10 hours. So what's left now is 40 hours. That's, that's 40 hours of spare time. That's pretty much the same as the average working week. 40 hours is rather a lot, wouldn't you agree? As I said, different people have different routines. I work longer than average. I sleep slightly less than average. So I'm probably closer to having 30 hours of spare time a week. Hey, that's still a lot. That's over four hours a day of spare time, seven days a week on average. Okay, less on weekdays, more on weekends. 30 hours, 40 hours, whatever your spare time availability is, it's a lot. Some of it, you're going to want to rest and spend on your own. Just getting some me time is important to recharge your batteries. Watch a bit of TV, perhaps, hop onto Facebook, surf the internet, whatever it is that you enjoy doing for yourself. Maybe it's reading a good book. Fantastic. But there's one very important thing we haven't talked about yet when it comes to our leisure time, and that thing is your family. Husbands with wives, wives with husbands, parents with children, and children with their parents. You see, the last time I checked, being a family was meant to be fun. (laughs) It's not fun every day, of course. Disciplining our children isn't always fun. Fights and arguments aren't always fun. Okay, sometimes being a family is hard work, and that's okay. That's the way it was meant to be. But here's what I've noticed. The more fun families have together, the less time they spend fighting and arguing. The more fun they have together, the less it feels like hard work. So here's my question for you today. How much fun are you guys having together in your family? Do you plan fun times in your busy week? Do you have spontaneous fun time where you forget about the busy schedule and you just laugh and play together? When I was a young lad, my father worked really hard. He emigrated to Australia from Europe after World War II. And whilst he had an engineering degree, it wasn't recognised in this country. So with a young family and a demanding job, He went back to university and studied for seven years part-time to get it again. I can't imagine how soul-destroying that must have been. Now, Dad had a senior position and so he spent long hours at work, but sometime early on, he decided that he and I would collect stamps together. It was our hobby together, and we built up quite a stamp collection. It was almost half a century ago. I had those stamps valued recently and they came to just a few hundred dollars. Nothing, really. But the time that we spent together as father and son remains a priceless memory for me that I'll treasure until my dying day. Families that play together stay together. One of the greatest things that you and I can do to stop our families from falling apart is quite simply to have fun together, to deliberately schedule time, to plan time and activities, hobbies, car rides, whatever they are, times of fun that you can have together as a family. Okay, they're not always exactly what we want to do, but those times of fun together as a family are times that your children will treasure when you, like my father, are long gone. What can you do to stop your family from falling apart? Play together. Waste time on each other. Having having simple fun, enjoying simple pleasures. 
Do it deliberately. Do it in the face of the pressing realities that crowd out your time because your family, come on, your family, your children are truly the most precious people on this planet to you. Doesn't it make sense to invest some of your precious time in them? Come on, just stop and think. What do your kids enjoy doing? Is it going down to the park to kick a football round or going to a movie? Or or do they enjoy playing dress-ups or perhaps the odd shopping trip together? When we plan to do things with our families that make us laugh and enjoy life, come on, that's powerful stuff. How easy is it to allow the burdens that we carry around on our shoulders to rob us of the fun that we can have in life? The decision to have fun together or not as a family is a decision that we each can make. So what will you decide to do? Now, once again, this isn't something that the Bible talks about specifically, probably because when it was written, life wasn't as crazy and as hectic as it is today. There weren't the individual isolated entertainment options that we have today. In the evening after dinner, there was no television. There was no electricity even. And so families naturally spent time together and invented their own entertainment. But the wealthier we became, the the more options we have, the less fun we seem to be having together as families. What God's Word does tell us to do is to make good use of our time and not to waste it because time is short. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. God says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, Use your time wisely compared to this admonition, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things that they ought not to. Come on, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? There are some really good ways we can spend our time, and there are some really bad ways to spend our time. And one of the best things that we can do, one of the best ways to spend our time, one of the greatest and most pleasurable investments that you can make in the future is to have fun, to make some time to play with your family. Can it really be that difficult to do? Come on, families that play together, stay together. So as we talk about our families and the things that you and I can do to stop them from falling apart, how can we possibly pass up the opportunity to talk about prayer? I have a very simple view of prayer. It goes something like this. Prayer is when we join hands with God to get his will done on this earth. Do you remember Jesus' master class on prayer, the Lord's Prayer? It was very simple. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And please don't bring us into a time of trial or temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you see this prayer? It's all about getting God's will done on this earth. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And on top of that is about trusting him for his provision and his forgiveness. So let me ask you, is it God's will for your family to stay together? Is it God's will for your children to learn to honour their parents and to love and to obey God with glad and willing hearts? Is it God's will for your family to reflect the wonder of his love into a world where families are falling apart en masse? 
<laughs> I don't think you have to be such a great theologian to be able to answer a resounding yes to each of those questions. Now, if we lived in a perfect world, you and I, with a perfect family, well, you know, it'd be pretty easy for us to live out his will. No problem at all. But we don't live in a perfect world, and I'm guessing you don't have a perfect family. Am I right? You have the sort of family that we were chatting about last time on the program. You have the sort of family that has its odd conflicts and clashes, personalities that sometimes rub one another up the wrong way, maybe even the odd black sheep in the family. We somehow imagine that out there somewhere is some perfect family. But come on, that's just not true. Every family has its issues. Yours and mine is no exception to that universal reality. In fact, sometimes it can seem that keeping your family together, stopping them from falling apart, is a complete impossibility. Can I ask you, do you know why that is? Well, it's because it's true. There are some things that you cannot do to keep your family together. And those things require supernatural power. They require the power of God. And fortunately, God has a mighty heart for your family. God is ready, willing and able to step in and see his will be done when your family seems intent on tearing itself apart. That's grace. And that's where prayer comes in. Let's imagine that you have a teenager in your family. Maybe he's your son, maybe your grandson, who is going completely off the rails. The guy is caught up in the wrong crowd and that's a recipe for disaster if ever you saw one. He may be into drugs. I mean, who knows? He's out till all hours and you're beside yourself, you just don't know what to do. Nothing you seem to say or do makes any difference to his behaviour. He's a rebel and he's going out there bent on self-destruction. Nothing you do makes one iota of difference. And so you you feel completely powerless to help him. And if something doesn't give, he's going to find himself in serious trouble or perhaps worse. Well, there is something you can do. You can pray. Hmm. It sounds a bit feeble, doesn't it? Because you want to do something real and practical. You want to see his behaviour change immediately, right now. Have a listen to this. John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Mark 11, chapter 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everybody who asks receives. Everybody who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you remember a little earlier on, I said that the only sort of prayer the Bible teaches about is the sort that has powerful results? In fact, prayer that yields powerful results is entirely normal in God's sight. So when you pray for that wavewood teenager who's bent on self-destruction, you're actually doing the single most important, most powerful thing that you can possibly do for him. When you pray for the husband and the father who's a workaholic, when you pray for the young daughter who's going out on her first date with a boy, when you pray for a mother who's struggling with postnatal depression, when you pray for the marriage that seems to be coming apart at the seams, you are doing the most powerful thing that you can possibly, possibly be doing. Why? Because you're joining hands with God. Not not just any God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the same God that has a soft and tender heart for your family 
You're joining hands with that God, the same God who wants to see your family reflect his glory. The same God who has lived in perfect love and harmony, Father, Son and Holy Spirit for all eternity. That's the God that you're praying to. It's the God who has the power and the wisdom and the desire and the love and the mercy and the compassion to do the things for you in your family that you simply cannot. Is, is anybody hearing this? Are, are you listening to this? Is the mighty, powerful word of God sinking into your heart and bringing hope back for you? Because that's exactly what God intends to do through his word today, I believe. The single most powerful thing that you can do for your family is to pray for them. I don't care if you're praying for someone clear on the other side of the globe. You are bringing the love and the wisdom and the power and the mercy of God to bear in their lives when you take them and pray for them to the God who loves them, the God who invented families, the God who wants to see them reconciled and drawn together. How much and how often do you pray for your family as a whole and for the individuals? And let me ask you this, how often do you pray together as a family? It's a powerful thing for, for husband and wife to pray together and it's a powerful thing for children to learn how to pray together with their parents as a family prays together. It's really sad, but very few families pray together. Just imagine what would happen if we took this one single most powerful thing that we can do for our families to pray. Imagine if we did it together. Imagine the transformative power as God changes the hearts of each member of your family through prayer. Imagine what your children would learn, how it would change them as they see the power of God respond in answer to the prayers of your family. Come on. How often do you pray together as a family? Again, I tell you, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. That's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 18 Verses 19 to 20. Imagine if you gathered together in prayer and had Jesus in your midst. Come on. Prayer that yields powerful results is entirely normal in God's sight. Do you see the power of what it is that we're talking about here? What if a good chunk of your prayer life was focused on your family? What if your family together as a family under the headship of God prayed to him together? How different would your family be? Fathers, husbands, it's up to you as the spiritual head of your household to take the lead here. Families that pray together, stay together. Just before we go, I'd like to tell you about a free gift that we'd love to send you to help you experience the power of God more and more in your life. Each month, Bernie writes a new life application booklet around the sorts of issues that we all deal with in life. It's designed to take you deeper into God's Word and then to help you live out what you've discovered. It's about helping you experience God's love and power in your faith walk. To request the latest e-booklet, visit ChristianityWorks.org and you'll see that free offer towards the top of the homepage. I'm believing that it'll be a mighty blessing to you. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet, and we'll catch you again next time. Mm-hmm.